Ricochet. Oh, brother. Three and two to Mookie Wilson. Little roller up along first. Behind the bag. It gets through Buckner. Here comes Knight, and the Mets win it. Lynch is staring in, has his sign. A 2-1 pitch. And a drive in the air to deep right field. That ball headed toward the wall. That ball is out of here. Out of here. A game-winning grand slam home run off the bat of Robin Ventura. Ventura with a grand slam. They're mobbing him before he can get to second base. The Mets have won the ball game. Ventura. Lopez wants it away. And it's hit deep to left center. Andrew Jones on the run. This one has a chance. Home run. Piazza and the Mets lead three to two. How is New York going to get out of this guy? Their captain, David Wright. He's had the bad back. He's got spinal stenosis. Played less than 40 games in the regular season. It's a cold night. be a problem on and off the rest of the season. Mm. Turner drives one to center chasing Nimmo back to the warning track right at the fence. He made the catch. Oh wow. The catch of the year for Brandon Nimmo. He took a home run away from Justin Turner. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen. May I have your attention please. The show. And I am joined by former Mets pitcher, former big leaguer, Bill Pulsifer. Bill, how are you today? I'm good, Casey. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty well. Thanks for asking. So... Uh, we have a lot to uh, dive into since the last time we spoke on episode three. Um, you know, like we mentioned from uh, the ending of episode three, there's never really a dull day, I feel like, in Metsville. There's always just something happening. Um, feels like that's been it forever. Yeah, that's uh, the story of the organization, right? Always something, always something going on. Yeah. So without any further ado, uh, let's just dive right into it. Uh, so, you know, the Mets made all their moves. They waved the white flag. However, they're playing pretty well. Um, they put some wins together. They had a four game winning streak. Uh, they won five out of actually six out of seven. Now granted pirates, Cardinals, not the best teams in the national league. Uh, Braves, you know, obviously are the best team in the league, but they're playing better. You could, there's a different vibe. I don't know how much that is the opposition, the opponent, or something else. Uh, let me get your thoughts on that uh, first before we uh, get into the, uh, the main thing here. Yeah, well, obviously, uh, like we talked about a little bit last week, there's definitely not going to be any tanking involved, and those guys are professionals, and they want to, uh, they want to win baseball games. Uh, as far as the opposition, you can only – play against the teams that you're playing against uh so you want to try to get those wins uh when you are playing the teams that you quote unquote should should beat but you still have to go out there and get 27 outs and score more runs than the other team in a major league baseball stadium so uh 
it's never easy. But uh, to see them taking care of business a little bit and playing well, um, hopefully gives uh, some of the fans some some uh, interest in at least the very fact that they're not quitters and they're not going to just roll over and say, you know what, uh, it's over and uh, just mail it in and let's go play golf. <clears throat> yeah, uh, a lot of talk early on after the right after the trade deadline was more of the tanking and that that protected top six pick if they finish in the bottom six or they drop 10 uh, spots for the first round draft pick like they did in 2023. Right. Uh, right. right now, I feel like we could put that to bed. Uh, it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. However, there's around 40 games to go, so you never, you never know. Uh, however, I looked at the schedule. Now, whenever whoever's watching this whatever day, I can't tell you how many games the Mets are out of the, the third wild card spot. Um, my guess, who, when whoever's watching this, and thank you, of course, to tuning into the Shalo podcast here, um, they could be anywhere from five to eight, you know, ballpark. But I looked up their schedule. Their last 20 games are all against teams ahead of them. So my point is, they could do some damage. Now, not saying they will, not saying they won't, but they can't. They literally have the teams in front of them, all of the teams, like the Diamondbacks, the Marlins, uh, who am I forgetting? Uh, the Cub, Not the Cubs, a, a lot of the teams, all of them, the last 20. So they Cincinnati. can do damage. Cincinnati, absolutely. Uh, Phillies, uh, you know, they're the yep. last 20. So crazier things have happened. Um, I, I feel like right now I don't really like to grasp 2.5% chance of making the playoffs, whatever. There's still a month and a half left, you know, screw the graphs and whoever makes them, you know, you could go back to the 73 Mets, the 69 Mets, uh, you know, even the 90, what was it? 98, 99 Mets. They, they went on a tear um, yep. more so than 98 Mets that didn't make the playoffs, but they came close. Um, what are your thoughts about that when you're part of a big league team, you've gone through a lot, you're on, you're on the roster the entire time, you were not traded, and you have an outside chance somehow of still the possibility of making the playoffs, and all teams ahead of you are the last 20 games. What goes through your mind? Are you, you know, I never thought I'd say that there is a chance they make the playoffs. Yeah, the people wouldn't have thought that a, a couple of weeks ago. But uh, as players in the clubhouse, all you want is that chance and that opportunity. And knowing that you have that chance and that opportunity mathematically, as well as having the teams in front of you uh, that you need to, to beat uh, coming up in games, obviously, if you have that chance, then you do have a chance. And people are going to do their damnedest to try to, to take that opportunity. Now, we all know that it's going to be a little bit difficult and the numbers are kind of stacked against them a little bit. But as professional athletes, you have that feeling of if I have a chance, then I'm going to go ahead and take that, try to take that opportunity. It doesn't mean it's going to happen, but you're not, you know, you're going to put your nose to the grindstone and, and work as hard as you possibly can and support your teammates and uh, try to do the best that you possibly can because there is a chance. And everybody, that's it's just like life. You know, if you have a chance, uh, then you still got an opportunity. So they still have yep. an opportunity. Um, all is not lost. And I think one way or the other, it can determine, and they're doing it a little bit now, determine the type of fight that you have in, in your team. And uh, even if they come up a little bit short or they do get over the top, it, it gives them that opportunity 
to to prove to themselves and to prove to the organization and prove to the fans that they're there to win and they're there to give uh, the very best that they possibly can to the very end. <clears throat> yeah, um, the Mets have, you know, basically two nicknames, the Amazons and the Miracle Mets. Why? Right. Because, you know, they came from nowhere uh, and defeated crazy odds to win what what they had to win. And uh, again, I agree with you. There's no guarantee that they're making the playoffs. And even if they did, who knows, you know, but the Mets are, I feel like, and I'm not biased because I'm a Mets fan. Tell me if you agree with this, you know, X amount of years of Mets history, crazy things happen with this franchise granted only two world series, but you know, I, I reverted back, I'll revert back to the 69 Mets, that crazy climb. What were they like nine or 11 games out behind the Cubs and then right. the black cat, you black know, cat, with Ron right. Santo, um, at Shea uh, yep. against the Cubs, and it all changed. They ran off, I forget what, 30 and you know, 10 or something. Jeez. You know, and uh, the 73 Mets, same thing. And then you saw the comeback in the 86 Mets. So there's something about this franchise that just has that it. It hasn't translated to World Series wins. But what I'm saying, it's like talking about it and releasing it. Doesn't it feel odd? It feels kind of natural. Maybe that's just the meth fan in me. How, how do you take that? Yeah. Well, you got to believe, right? I mean, that's that's exactly. what it comes down to. And I, through all of this, still wanted to believe because until you're mathematically eliminated, you're not eliminated. So you get on a run, you get on a hot streak, you try to do whatever you can do, try to hope that some of the other teams maybe, uh, you know, get into a, a, a slump and, and uh, lose a few ball games to help you out. But it just keeps things lively and keeps things entertaining. And hopefully the fans are enjoying this little bit of a run that they're going through. And hopefully it'll it'll correlate to people being in the stands and the players feeling the, the mood of the fans and the, the mood of themselves knowing that they're winning some baseball games and, and give it a shot. You know, well, you got nothing yeah. to lose. You know, either it happens or it doesn't. But uh, I'd much rather be in the, the position of, still being in there and still having that opportunity as opposed to knowing, Hey man, we're done. We're 30 games out with, with 29 to go. And then there's no shot that it is, this can happen. But uh, as professional athletes, you're usually pretty optimistic and pretty uh, hungry to believe in yourself. So I think that that's probably still going on in that clubhouse. It's still going on in that stadium that they still feel like, Hey, we're not out of this man. So let's go. Let's win a ball game today. We'll take care of one day at a time and one pitch at a time and try to win a ball game. Yeah, that's actually a perfect segue to uh, what I wanted to talk to you about uh, next. Now, they've been on a little bit of a roll. I'm not going to say winning six of seven, you know, six of eight. You know, in the Brave series, obviously, is a different, whole different animal. But it, they've been winning more. And the teams in front of them haven't been doing all that well. Mets haven't been picking up a lot of ground, but they've made themselves relevant in terms of in the hunt. Um, right. So I think that's a perfect segue um, for – we talked about this a little bit uh, on the uh, other episode of uh, the Shea Little podcast. Do you think it's a mix of the younger players who are hungry going back to hell? No, they ain't tanking. You know, we see DJ Stewart, you know, up to six home runs already, like six home runs and 13 at bats. Love that guy's yeah. swing. <clears throat> yeah. Power, you know, for former number one draft pick, he's still 28, 29 Orioles um, got a pop. You know, but the, you know, Ortegas, the Aruzas, Aruzas, and, you know, DJ Stewart, like a little, a little hungry, 
guys in the clubhouse now that have a lot to prove. Um, the core is still there. And yeah, the rotation's a mess because you lost two aces. You know, some people have stepped up, some people haven't. Uh, but do you think it's maybe fully because of the younger guys or a combination of the cores now? When I say core, you know who I'm talking about Alonzo, Lindor, uh, McNeil, Nimmo. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Is it a mixture or is it um, one or the other or, and this is actually another, we were going to get into this later, but this is all, it ties into one big thing. Is it because the speculation of, and we won't talk about who, some guys left and people are speculating that that bad chemistry in the clubhouse now that it's gone has led to a little bit of open, fresh air in the clubhouse and all that. So I know I said a lot there. You know, I don't know which way you're thinking, but uh, what, what is your take on that? Well, I think obviously bringing up some guys uh, and giving them everyday playing time, some guys that are probably still trying to prove themselves. These aren't necessarily your, your you know, your baby Mets, quote unquote, but these are some guys that have been around for a few years that have been kind of toiling back and forth or been through five or six different organizations. They're obviously very hungry to try to to play well to ingrain themselves to possibly be on the ball club next year or to advance their 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 future with another ball club in the in in the in the coming year uh those guys are obviously very hungry and probably willing to to give everything they possibly can as well as kind of follow in the lead of those guys that we talked about with Nimmo and Lindor and uh Pete and uh McNeil the like you said the core guys uh, probably following their lead. Um, those, like I've, I've talked in the past two episodes about, those are the guys that I say when they, there's guys that really care. Those are definitely a group of guys that really care. And I think it's probably a combination of both, you know, some hungry guys, the core guys never losing their hunger, regardless of whether the, to the team was winning or wasn't winning. And uh, they're kind of coming to, coming together. Uh, what was going on in the clubhouse? Maybe there was some stuff going on. Obviously we've heard some rumblings, but um and, and clubhouse chemistry is a thing, but there's obviously been teams that have had not as great uh, clubhouse chemistry that might have might have ended up winning. And then there's been teams that have had great uh, clubhouse right, chemistry right. and didn't win anything. So I, who's to say what, exactly what happened when it comes down to the chemistry? But out on the field itself, obviously the the guys that have came up that are that are playing well here recently our guys that are kind of, I want to say, quote unquote, journeymen up to this point um, and are, are hungry to prove something and they're they're doing well. And um, obviously the other guys, like the core guys, they were never going to quit. Those those guys were never going to quit on the Mets yeah. never, or quit on themselves. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think combination uh, because so. the, 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 the core group and let's touch upon that for just a second, because uh, they're not going anywhere regardless of this year and how it ends, uh, they'll be back in 2024. The production of the Nimmo's, the Lindor's, the Alonzo's, and the McNeil's, I would call that the core you know, for the offense. They've all stepped up their games. Now, you know, Met fans are negative by nature, um, you know, rightfully so. Uh, but, you know, that's a whole different animal. They're saying, you know, oh, now they're doing it. Where were they, you know, when they weren't out of it and not, you know, eight games under, 10 games under, whatever. You know, I always revert back to this phrase. You always are at uh, at the end of the year what the back of your baseball card says you are. As you know, as a former player, uh, you know, 
ups and downs through a long year. You're going to have your slumps. You're going to have your peaks and valleys. Um, so people want to rip Lindor and Pete and Nimmo. Not so much Nimmo. He's been pretty consistent. Uh, you know, for now picking it up as they have in August, all of them, <laughs> because they're out of it. I don't put too much stock into that. No, I don't think I mean, you do either. either. I don't. I don't either because the game is extremely hard, and the, there's no moment in time during the season where these guys were thinking, "Ah, oh, you know what? I'll just turn it off for a little bit, yeah. and then I'll turn it back on." The baseball is not a light switch at all. You can't just turn it off and on. Now, obviously, you're going to get hot and you're going to get cold. Um, different circumstances throughout the year. Obviously, we believe Pete probably came back a little bit too early after getting smoked in the wrist. We got lucky the other day that he got hit in the hand again and uh, <sighs> was able to walk it off. But um, yep. the the game is hard, man. These guys are giving their best. They're trying. They're not trying to strike out. They're not trying to miss balls or make bad throws or whatever. You know, it's just it's a hard game. And like we said before about the guys that care so much, sometimes maybe they care a little bit too much and they try to do too much, and that's when they probably get you know get into a little bit of a rut. And maybe if they can just, and maybe they are just relaxed a little I, bit. Maybe the the pressure might be off just a little bit. And now maybe they're getting the chance to apply the pressure again by, by winning some baseball games. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. I agree with that only because two of those four, uh, not saying that Nimmo and Lindor are not passionate and don't care. They definitely do. But you see more of a McNeil and Alonzo who show their emotions more. Just they wear it on their sleeves. You know, uh, Alonzo we see at McNeil all the time smash their helmets. You know, we've seen Alonzo right. break his bat over his knee. Um, that's another perfect segue. Lindor. Um, we'll keep it simple. I have stats with me. Um, okay. Before any stats, simple question, Bill. In your mm-hmm. opinion, is Francisco Lindor as a Met two and a half years into the contract, you know, six and a half years or whatever, seven years ago, is he underrated with everything? Um. This well, I, he's not underrated in his batting average, and that's the only gripe that I'm going to have about him is, is is with the money that he is being paid and what we were used to with guys that were getting these kinds of contracts, and obviously the money has grown uh, over the last ten, fifteen, we'll even call it tw- uh, twenty years now because I guess it was around two thousand three that uh, Alex Rodriguez was signing the first two hundred fifty million dollar contract. Yep. We kind of expected the the 300-plus batting average, the 330, the 335. Um, obviously, the guy comes to play every single day. I'm not necessarily a huge fan of the of the different spikes and different glove every game, but you know what? I was a flashy <laughs> player in 1995, and who knows what I would be in 2023 if I was a you know mid, right. tw- mid to late 20s baseball player in this day and age. So I'm not going to gripe on that too much because the guy does come to play every single day. Um Obviously, batting left-handed, I'd like to see him cut down on the strikeouts, maybe put the ball in play a little bit more, which I know he's capable of because I see him get plenty of base hits to left field. Um, I think he does a lot of things well. Obviously, I would like to see the batting average come up. I'm not going to say underrated or overrated because there's a lot of people that tell you the batting average doesn't matter. I'll never be one of them. Right. But Because um, hitting is contagious, so and the more pressure yep. you put on hitter, uh, on a pitcher – the more chances of him throwing bad pitches to get the next guy to be able to get a base hit. But he is a core player. He's going to be a core player for years. Uh, I know he gets picked on about leadership, this, that, and the other thing. Some people say he's a leader. Other people say he's not. 
people lead different ways. I will say this, he's on the top step of the dugout right at the right at the entrance um, of the netting damn near the whole game when he's not when he's not in the batter's box or out playing defense. So I think that behind closed doors, he's probably looked at highly by his teammates and I'm not going to say underrated because like I said, I'm going to pick on the batting average a little bit and the strikeouts, but uh-huh. um he definitely comes to play every single day, and he, he he's part of a reason why it makes the team better and, and not worse, that's for sure. Yeah, uh, I'm happy you brought up uh, in, from the, uh, the jump with Lindor. I think the money has a lot to do with how people and their opinions and how strong they are uh, with him <laughs> and, their, and how they make their opinion. Um, he's making $34 million a year, 10 years, $341 million. It's a lot of money. That's super. That's superstar money. You know, that's not over uh, above average player money. That's you're going to be the best shortstop in the league money. You know, and if you remember at the time, he actually and I don't know why the players do this. Probably ego. He wanted to be the best, the highest paid shortstop in the league. So he had the Mets put in an extra hundred thousand, I believe, to beat for Fernando Tatis Jr., who had just signed. Three hundred forty million, you know. So I guess he got an extra million. It's got to be an ego thing, but well, he definitely I, has the, you know, he definitely has some things going on. You know, you don't wear a different pair of spikes and a different glove and that every single night without having some form of an ego going on. But listen, there's a lot of lot of major league baseball players with egos. Sometimes people show it a little bit differently, yeah. um, and I think that become to become. A, a one percenter or a less than one percenter and play at the major league level, you're definitely going to have some form of an ego. And uh, hopefully you go out there and you back it up after that too, you know? So yeah. he's still got a long ways to go in this contract and I'm rooting for him because I'm a Mets fan and I want to see him do well. And I want to see the organization do well. I'd like to see a little, little less of a big swing left-handed, a little less strikeouts left-handed and uh, let's raise that batting average a little bit more. I'm sure he'd love to too. But, yeah, of course. Let, let me let me be clear. I'm a Francisco Lindor fan. I have been since the minute he signed on the dotted line. I've never been, as they say, you know, a Francisco Lindor hater. I don't care about his contract. I mean, in terms of length, that's where I come in, you know. But money, right. it's not my money, and Steve Cohen doesn't give a fuck, you know. He <laughs> he, he just does it. Money's nothing to him. We, right. We've seen that. So. Yep. You know, length of years is where fans can, you know, get into that. But money, it's not our money. Steve's got it. It's his money. I agree. Where I, where, where I come in with Lindor is I think he is a leader. Like you said, top of the dugout. Uh, I remember in 2021, his first year, where his contract didn't even start, he was always the last one into the dugout when they were walking back into the dugout. I see him doing the same thing, giving little high fives and that coming off the field. You know, there's high five, right? Always the last one, right? That's not fake. fake. It's exactly. And so the little things, and a a guy like you that has been on the field more than ninety, probably a hundred percent of, or ninety nine point nine percent of the people watching, listening right now, those little subtle things you pick up on. You know, Um, so I do think he's a leader in a subtle way. I do think he has an ego. But he's not overly flashy about it. He backs it up because he's as smooth as hell at shortstop. You know, he should be winning gold, gold gloves. Uh, and he hasn't, hasn't met yet, but he will. Um, 
but yeah. And he gives everything num- he has. He gives everything he's got. You know, he doesn't lollygag. He doesn't, he's not lazy. He, right. uh, I like to, I get on him sometimes. I'm not going to lie, but I, it's, I think like he has his flash and that's, that's, that's just the way the game is now. And, uh, you can't, you can't bag on him cause he doesn't run to first base or he doesn't dive right. for a ball in the hole. You know, he'll dive for right. a ball that you see some guys that won't dive for, even though he knows he doesn't have a chance for it. And as a former pitcher, that lets you know that this guy's got my back at least. Even yep. if he knew he wasn't going to get it, he's going to lay out and he's going to to show you, yeah, hey man, I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to give it a shot for you. You know, so you got to respect yeah. that. He plays every damn day. When he had that side pain that he sat out, the one game he missed this year, it broke the, his streak that led. I, I don't know if it was an all-time Mets streak. I believe 255 okay. consecutive games. Of playing he played every the day, day. He had a baby this year, right? His wife had a baby, yeah. and he, he, he was came, out there he playing. Came, he came in as a pinch hitter. Um, yep. He plays every game, and you and so does Pete. You know, and Pete obviously just had stints on the IL because of broken this and that. But even Lindor broke his finger. What was it? At a hotel in San Diego yep. or something? And he, I believe, just missed one game. But yep. he, he plays every game. He's a gamer. You want that Absolutely. from a guy who, you know, is paid all that money and, and all that we just talked about. Um, but here are the stats because you can't dispute facts. You know, we talk about batting average. I'll just read this. Uh, only four players have posted the following number since 2019. Remember, he signed with the Mets in 21. 100 plus doubles, 100 plus home runs, and 70 stolen bases. Okay. Four players, so three other than Lindor. Here's the list. Shoei Otani, Jose Ramirez, Ronald Acuna Jr., Francisco Lindor. That's it. Well, that puts him right up there in that superstar uh, echelon that you were talking about. You know, uh, those it are does. great numbers. And especially in this day and age where they, they tell you that batting average doesn't matter, those would be numbers that uh, the analytics staff would tell you do matter. So, right. um you got to say he's doing it. He's doing it according to today's baseball, and makes me makes me wonder if that is his approach. You know, which maybe he's he's bought into the the new way of playing the game and the new analytics, and he's willing to to have those strikeouts and and, and you know a few too many strikeouts and a lower batting average to be in that that group of names that you just you just named. Yeah, I mean those names are they speak for themselves and. Yep. Yeah. Last year in 2022, he had the best uh, season ever as a shortstop. Like in terms of Jose Reyes had it, you know, just in terms of, I believe it was RBIs, uh, home runs, whatever it might be. Lindor in 2022, still when people hate on him, he had the best season ever. As he had a very good year. He had a, he had a very good year right. last year for sure. In, in, in Mets history, it was the best year as a shortstop. So, you know, you take it for what it's worth. And just to finish right. on the, the superstar and the stats don't lie, as of Monday, August 21st, Lindor moved in to the top five in war. Now, some people don't care about war, and a lot of people do. You know, war is just a, a stat, a wins above replacement, and it encompasses not just offense, but it defense as well, uh, as well. Here's the list. Top five in order. In 2023, Shoei Otani, 8.5. Big, big surprise, right? <laughs> Mookie Betts, big drop off here, 6.4. Big, 
but then it's a little crowded. Ronald Acuna Jr., 6.2. Freddie Freeman, 6. Lindor, 5. And he is now number 5. So he is in the top 5 in war, which you could say top 5 in MVP. You know, I don't equate it like that, but the numbers, the point is the numbers don't lie. He's having another good year. Yeah, he is. And he I, is. Let's just get him to 285. Can we get him to 285? And then he'll well, definitely be the best shortstop in the game. <laughs> If you remember, I think it was the beginning of June, he was hitting 208, and people yeah. were like, or a little maybe before, he was right around the Mendoza line. And it's like, okay, this is... For quite a while, this, he was. Right. He What's never got out here. average right now, Casey? I got to look it up, but uh, I, I know. I actually, I know it. He got a, he's above 250 now. Is he? So okay. I, I, right. Yeah, he is. He, and then he that, is about, around 255 is yeah. the last... When I remember, he so he's raised his average forty points, and that's hard to do later in the season. You got to give credit where credit is due. Why in the world, when the Mets are basically not making the playoffs and they're not retaining Carlos Carrasco, he's on the end of his career, and we love Carlos as a as a player and and as a person, but why in the world is Joey Lacasey not pitching every fifth day in place? of Carlos Carrasco, where, again, I love the guy, but he's horrible. He has a 6.42 ERA. That is the worst ERA in 19 – if over – if you have 19 starts, you're now – you're booked in over in any Mets career as a starting pitcher. Worst. Wow. The worst. Worse than Jason <clears throat> Vargas, who I believe it was 2018 or 19. We all remember how bad he was, and everybody ripped on Vargas. Carlos Carrasco is worse, and now you have a young lefty who has shown you that he has pitched well, and see what you got with him. What in the world am I missing here, Bill? Um, I took a moment to think about this when you sent over what we were going to speak about, and this is what I think, and I could be wrong. But, like you said, they still have him under control, right, for next year, Lucchese? All right. Yep. Coming off of Tommy John surgery, coming off of a knee injury. The team is quote-unquote out of it, even though they're not out of it. And we know that. We talked about that earlier on. My thought is is maybe they want to work him back into that 100%, 100-pitch 100 situation. Um, maybe they don't feel like he's quite there yet. And with the team quote-unquote being out of it but not out of it, don't want to overdo it with him right now, knowing that they have an opportunity um, – to see him pitching in next year, hopefully completely out of the underneath the Tommy John issue, completely healthy again. Um, why try to risk the chance of injury again? If he's not what they feel, he's up to a hundred pitches uh, every five days at the major league level, injuring himself again. Uh, if they're not in it, uh, we know that they're, they're still in it a little bit here, but um, that's kind of bit. the only thing I could come up with is, we don't want to overdo it with him right now, knowing that next year when we made the trades, the, you know, the team made the trades, they were kind of waving the white flag, like you say, um, that let's get him ready, really, really ready for next year and not have to overexert him this year, feeling that the team's not going to make it into the playoffs. And that's pretty much all I can come up with that. I hope for, you know, I, I would like to have seen him around, you know, the last two years, but unfortunately injury has kept him away a little bit. Um, having a guy like Quintana back as well is something that I feel like those guys can kind of vibe off of each other a little bit. And, 
perfect. Yeah, well, it's not over reason. yet. You know, we haven't even made it to September yet. Maybe in September he does get up here and he gets the ball once every five days the rest of the season. The only thing I can think of, like I said, right. is they probably don't feel like he's up to 100 pitches um, at the major league level yet, and they want to get him there before they get him out there every five days. Knowing that, like you said, Carlos is probably going to be gone, uh, being that his contract is up and he's a free agent, and they have Lucchese under control. Let's try to keep this this controlled as much as possible to try to get him all the way back to full health to see what he really can do because he hasn't had that opportunity uh, yet since he's became a Met. So that's that's basically what I've got on that, and I think that uh, it makes some sense. Obviously, it's frustrating when you're putting a pitcher out there that's struggling when you feel like there might be somebody better out there. But I, I would think that there's a rhyme and reason to it, and it's not just because they want to hold him back. I'm sure he's not happy about it either, but I'm sure they have a reasoning. Of course. Yeah, you know, uh, I feel like with your answer, you're a little dumbfounded as well because, you know, you're like, I guess it's the only thing I could think of. And it does make sense of what you're saying. But where I come from, and I'm not disagreeing because can't, you can't disagree with that assessment. Uh, you know, he is coming off injuries and totally, totally, you know, uh, a, a good assessment. This would be the time to see what you have. It's not like Carlos is giving you those innings anyway. So even if Lucchese's not throwing 100 pitches, well, you know, he just threw, I, I forget, you know, you he know just what threw I was 80. Say, and uh, I forgot to make this point, too. This was part of that, and I'm glad you brought that up, is the amount of wear and tear that the bullpen has had to take this year with the fact that the starting pitchers had a hard time getting through five innings, let alone six innings, a lot of the season. Um Carlos can still go out there and give you a six or seven inning outing. I know it hasn't been, they've been fewer and farther between this year than last year um, where, you know, going into the game with Lucchese right now, you're hoping for five, maybe six at where he's at. And the, the bullpen has already been stretched this year. So that was another thing that I was going to point out that I forgot um, that maybe that's part of the reasoning as well is you don't want to stretch the bullpen any more than they already have been knowing that you're going to have a guy that you're trying to build up, uh, build up his pitch count and his arm strength. So that, that's something that, that, yeah, yeah, that's, that's something true. I think that might be a factor as well. And, and you're right. It's not, it's not September yet. Give it a couple and weeks. if it keeps happening with Carlos, give it, give it right, a couple weeks, give it a couple, give weeks. It a couple weeks and see what happens. If, 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 if it keeps happening with Carlos where he's out in the third inning and he's giving you nothing and they got to get to the bullpen in the third, fourth inning, then then I, I this is where you bring up Lucchese. If the games don't, quote-unquote, matter as much because they're, quote-unquote, out of it or whatever, you know, this is like McGill and Peterson. They're giving them all the opportunities in the world to see what they have. It's an audition for next year. So I feel like, and, you know, you made your point, and I agree with the injuries. But this would be the time, just like Miguel and Peterson, give Luke Casey his shot. He is pitched actually better than, Luke, than Peterson I and think it's coming. I think it's coming. You know, I think that they probably have a little bit of a plan. And I, I, I so. would think with by September, he's probably getting the ball once every five days. Um, unless okay. Carrasco has a, you know, complete turnaround, which look. Everybody in their, in their career gets to a point to where it gets that much harder to get outs. And maybe he's there right now. Uh, but I, I think it's coming. I think Lucchese will get a chance to make a consecutive run of starts before this year is over. I, I hope, hope so. so, too. I really do. Um, you know, and it doesn't mean get rid of Carlos Carrasco. Move him right. to the bullpen. You know, they're not going to DFA Carlos Carrasco. You know, the uh, bullpen, you know, mop-up right. guy or whatever. 
we'll see what pans out. But I, I agree, Lucchese probably every fifth day so I come so September. Too. But well, that's we'll I think wait so on too. that. So well, let's move on. We got some All fan right. mail uh, for Bill Polisifer every week uh, on uh, Shay underscore Hello on Twitter. We ask uh, followers to ask Bill questions that he will answer here on the podcast. So we have a few in. We'll read a couple of them, and uh, let's fire them away. Yes, sir. Ready, Bill? All right. First question, Bill, uh, from Mason. Hey, Bill, do you remember your first MLB start? Can you take us through that day and what it was like and everything that went with it? (laughs) Uh, Yes. I obviously will never forget my, my first start in the major leagues. Um, I was the number one prospect at the time with the organization. So they did a little, they did things a little bit differently than, uh, you see most of the time with the major league debut. I was kind of, I was brought up two days before and, uh, was able to, to be around, around shape for a few days for two days before I actually had to start. Um, it was a Saturday, uh, day game, uh, very hot in June, uh, the day before father's day, uh, gave up five runs in the first inning. Uh, and who'd you Houston play? Astros, Who was it against? Houston Astros. Doug Doug Drabeck okay. uh, pitched for the Astros. Oh. My first pitch. What year? What year was this? Ninety-five. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. My first yeah, pitch was, okay. was a fastball that cut about three and a half feet. Went by uh, went by Todd Hundley's glove to the backstop. Um, had two balls. Wow hit in either gap, right center and left center gap that uh, Brett Butler just couldn't quite get to. And uh, he apologized to me, and it was a crazy story. I hadn't seen him for over 15 years, and I saw him in St. Lucie uh, after after 15 years. And the first thing he said to me was, oh, man, I should have caught those two balls in that first inning. So uh, I thought that was always pretty cool of Bugsy to, to remember. He remembered my first start in the big leagues too. But um, it was obviously dream come true playing for your favorite team, standing on the same mound as, as your favorite your favorite player of all time and Doc Gooden and, you know, knowing that Nolan Ryan and and uh, Tom Seaver and, and uh, you know, just numerous guys that you admired as pitchers stood on that same mound. Uh, I lost the game, gave up seven runs, but uh, I went seven innings and I threw, 100, I, I threw 131 pitches, which is something that will never happen again in a major league debut. I could, I would bet my, I would, Double yeah, <laughs> I would bet my life on it. Um, so I lost the game, but I kind wow. of felt like I came out as a, as a winner on that day because, like I said, it would have been easy for them to take me out in the first inning, let alone, you know, let me finish it and then go on to throw another six innings after that. But first strikeout was uh, a Hall of Famer and Jeff Bagwell, and um, first home run uh, Hall of Famer in uh, Craig Biggio. So it was. Uh, Obviously, a dream come true, like I said, in a day that I I will never forget. Yeah, you faced some uh, good uh, hitters oh, yeah. in that lineup, the two Hall of yeah, Famers yeah. right there. So, uh, yeah, uh, five runs in the first inning. Uh, a lot of managers. I don't know how long they would uh, keep that leash. You know, well, the long leash. I've always that. thought that uh, yeah. maybe Dallas Green thought that more harm would be done by taking me out without getting out of the first inning in my first start in the major leagues and uh, by by leaving me in. Now, obviously, my elbow didn't make it through uh, 
through the rest of the season, and I ended up injuring myself probably due to the fact of the, the amount of pitches and innings that I had thrown prior to that, unfortunately. But it was a different time and a different era. And obviously my elbow, yep. I've always said my elbow has a lot to do with the way that the game is, is conducted now when it came, comes to uh, how pitchers are, are taken care of or not taken care of, whatever you want to call it. Because I know there's an argument of they don't throw enough, this, that, and the other thing. But I think I obviously yep. probably threw too, too much. Uh, I always use Nolan Ryan as, as a, a barometer, and obviously I'm no Nolan Ryan. But uh, he didn't throw 200 innings till he was 25 years old, and I did it twice by the time I was 21. So I think things, wow. you know, they, the game definitely changed after I came through and the rest of the Generation K guys came through. Always changing. Still to this day. Uh, but just go, going back to your, your first start, if you went seven innings, Dallas stayed with you. So you only gave up two runs in six That's innings right. after. So it actually – it, it was a good move by Dallas and obviously helped your confidence because look at you all these years later. You came out with, uh, I guess that would be a 9 ERA, seven and yep. seven runs, and, and, the, and the L, but you came out feeling like a winner because you, you, you pull, pulled yourself together and you gave up only two you know, and six after a horrible start. You know? Good on yes, you, sir. good on Dallas. Thank you. Uh, let's continue. I got a question for uh, you about my right. here. You always see I me see drinking. It. It's actually I, – I, I am remiss that I didn't bring it up last episode. Uh, obviously, if you're watching here on YouTube, you can see it. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple, it's a customized Yeti that has the Mets symbol engraved on it and my name. So if people can't see it and see me drinking water from it, and that's what it is – uh, last episode was coffee. A little tired, but it's Mets related. I see if you that. You can see it, Mets symbol and my name right here. So just wanted to get that like out of the way. It. I like um, it. There you go. And that wasn't fan mail. <laughs> I just needed to get that uh, in I, there. I've, I've been noticing uh, it throughout the uh, the podcast. I like it. Yeah. Well, it's Mets related, and is actually I got it as a birthday gift, and it might be the best birthday gift I ever got. Because uh, Met related engraved, and I use it a lot. Can't beat Coffee. that. Take, take it whatever. Take it wherever you want to go. Keep it hot. Keep warm, it cold. It cold. does it all, right? Yep. Uh, let's get okay. to one more uh, fan question. It's from uh, NYMGI. He goes for Bill. You played with a couple of guys known for not having the best personalities. How were how were Bobby Bonilla and Jeff Kent as teammates? Behind closed doors, Bobby, Bobby Bonilla was was a great teammate. Bobby Bo uh, obviously was a little prickly with the media and with fans sometimes. But if you were one of those 25 guys in that clubhouse, Bobby Bo treated everybody very well. I enjoyed playing with Bobby Bonilla. Big man, a huge man, you know, just swung a huge bat. Yep. Just a big dude. Uh, somebody you would want on your side if you ever got into a, an altercation, a physical altercation. Uh, Jeff was, Jeff was difficult and I was young and cocky and brash and Jeff was a little more of a veteran player and not as boisterous as I was. And Jeff, I'll, I'll say this, Jeff always played hard behind me whenever I was on the mound, but I don't think Jeff and I were the best of friends. Uh, Obviously, he was a little prickly. He had his issues uh, down the line in other organizations as well, but I can't take anything away from 
from Jeff Kent as a baseball player. He's probably borderline Hall of Fame baseball player as a second baseman. But uh, yeah, a little bit different than I would say Bobby Bo was when it came to dealing with teammates. Okay. I actually I have a question now that uh, that follower, and thank you for the questions, guys. Uh, uh, I was wondering about this. So uh, Todd Hunley, you said that he was your catcher uh, opening night, opening day for you, uh, your first start. Uh, then you played, you know, with them for a lot of games. I have a friend that is my best friend going back to way back uh, when I was a young kid. Uh, I won't put her name out there, of course. Uh, she might be listening when this airs, but uh, she was the president of the Todd Hunley <laughs> fan club, and uh, that will give it away. Some people now might know the name and the face, but I'm not going to air her name here. But uh, I guess my question is, and there's a little more to it before the question. When Piazza came, he had to basically take over for Todd Hundley, who was a yep. fan favorite. You know, he was he was loved by the fans, and you know his numbers backed it up. A switch hitting catcher, home run hitter, had the Mets record forty home runs, I believe, in '96 uh, until Piazza broke it. Um, so, you know, I, I always liked Todd. Um, I met him a bunch of times through my friend. Uh, so, my question to you. Uh, as being a teammate with Todd, uh, what were your your impressions with Todd? Todd, Todd, Todd and I lived in St. Lucie uh, in the off season, and this was prior to me even playing in the major leagues, and he was already on the on the ball club. Todd was a very good friend of mine. Uh, we've kind of fallen apart, not not by any reason, just you know due to time and, and distance. But uh, Todd was a great time. Todd would you know he he was a lot of fun, maybe too much fun sometimes. But uh, <laughs> Todd and I got along great. We spent a lot of time together in the off season. Uh, one being up at the field because uh, we used to go in the wintertime, Monday through Saturday. We would be up at the field at nine o'clock in the morning and working out at the minor league complex. Right. And then I would be at his house at the pool, you know, with his family and and for drinks and dinner. And Todd was a great teammate, and I enjoyed the hell out of playing with Todd Hundley. Yeah, no, every, everything I've heard about Todd is, you know, uh, good things. So, uh, Todd was a, you know, that's why my friend was the president of – Todd was a lot of Go fun. Ahead. Todd was fun. He was a good good teammate and yep. a lot of fun to hang out with. And, and, and good for him uh, only because back in – what was it? He had Tommy John surgery or was it his shoulder Tommy in 96? Yeah, he had Tommy John. Yep. Tommy, right. He, he went through a lot there with Tommy John, and, you know, Piazza was traded to the Mets in May uh, in 98, and he, he was put in a tough situation. He went from fan favorite to being out of the equation, being hurt, to being essentially replaced by, uh, at that time, the best guy in baseball. Uh, um, Wrigley Field. Wrigley yeah, Field in, uh, what was that? I guess it had to have been 98 then. I... Uh, was getting ready down in the bullpen, pretending like I was getting ready to to go into the game to pitch when I was actually just going to get my arm loose to possibly go play in the outfield to replace Todd in left field because uh, he was having oh, no. some struggles out in the outfield <sighs> late in the game. I did end up actually getting yeah. in the game as a pinch, pinch runner the one time that I uh, played in a major league game other than being a pitcher. But I, Bobby Valentine told me to go down and, and get your arm loose. You <laughs> might be going in to play left field to replace Todd. 
because Todd was, you know, he had been moved uh, from behind the plate and was coming back off of the elbow injury, and they were trying him out in the outfield a little bit. Uh, I remember Funny that story. very well. Left yep. field did not work out uh, well for Todd, uh, but you got to give him you got to give him kudos for trying. Yep. You know, absolutely uh, being, being a catcher. Uh, but I, I do remember. I think was it against Houston? Uh, Piazza Hunley hit back to back home runs, or in or in the same inning. It was just a good feel moment for you know probably both of them and more you know for fans. And I remember it was a big game. Um, you know, and obviously Todd didn't last long after that. Mike's got right. signed, yep. signed, and you know we all know what happened there. But you know Todd went on to play for the Cubs and, and made they, a lot of money. The Cubs and then you know? went on to play with the uh, Dodgers as well. Yeah, he made a good amount of money after the Mets, and and he was a good Met, you know, so good on him. So uh, let's move into our segment where we like to call Quick Hits for Bill. We did it last episode. Just going to fire off a couple quick questions uh, to you you, uh, pertaining to anything, just whatever you got on your mind. Go with it. All right, sounds good. We'll just do a couple. Bill Pulsifer, favorite I'm food. Having it tonight, spaghetti and meatballs. Oh yeah, delicious. My wife makes it. My favorite wife, movie. Go ahead. Favorite. My wife no, makes no, a meat, I, My wife makes about spaghetti meatballs, meatballs, so I'm having spaghetti and meatballs tonight. Actually, so I'm looking forward to uh, in about the next ten to fifteen minutes having some spaghetti and meatballs. We Ooh. won't keep you then, and I'm jealous. <laughs> favorite movie. Uh, can I give you three? Of course. I'll give you two. Let's go Scarface and Goodfellas. Those are two classics. Yeah. I would put them in my top ten. I mean, I could sit here and probably pluck off a few other ones, but uh, those are are right up there. Scarface and Goodfellas. Godfather 2 over over uh, over the Godfather. Now, that's... that's we, we would need a whole different podcast episode for that kind of controversy, but we won't go there right now. Um, great movies, of course, both. Um, but yeah, that, that could be a 40 minute conversation. Uh, okay. Last one. Favorite music artist? Smash the Pumpkins and Wu-Tang Clan. That, whoa. That is two different, right. you know, any, uh, I like the variety there. Okay. That's uh, two different genres of music or hey, good music uh, is good music. Good, 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 good music is good music. It could be, it could be anything other than country. Um, I, <laughs> but you know, I think there's good, <laughs> there's good music all over the world. And even in, inside of our country, there's, there's good music. And I enjoyed hip hop and I enjoyed uh, alternative rock music. You know, I'm a nineties guy. Uh, was coming of age, yep. becoming a man in the '90s, and those were uh, my two favorites, and they still to this day. I don't think that anybody does it uh, like the Wu Tang Clan did, and I don't think anybody is, does it or uh, has done it since like the Smashing Pumpkins. And I got a chance to uh, me and Billy Corgan, the lead singer of the Pumpkins, were were close for a while, and uh, my wife's still in contact with wow. with him. Through uh, through social media and been done the backstage thing and all that. Met the Wu Tang guys backstage at uh, at Lollapalooza awesome. years ago. Um, but yeah, those are those are my two. That's awesome about uh, you know meeting and 
you know, having contact with well, your one two thing favorite about, One thing about uh, bands musicians and, musician. and athletes is a lot of athletes wanted to be musicians and a lot of musicians want to be athletes. So we always kind of have something in common. And uh, I've got to meet a lot of uh, superstars in the music industry because of uh, being a major league baseball player. And uh, in the 90s, there was a guy, Peter Mensch, uh, who was a manager, a manager of uh, a lot of the, the biggest, uh, the, the big, the tops of the top. So, and he was a huge Mets fan. And right. He would he would take care of us and we would take care of him and so I got to meet meet quite a few yep. uh, superstars in the in the music industry. Do you remember? Since you know, it sounds like you're a big music fan. Did you have a walkout song <clears throat> when you would come out My to first start? Song ever was "Come As You Are" Nirvana, and then I changed it to "Even in His Youth" by Nirvana. And I remember I, my first hit, I hit a double over. Uh, Dante Bichette's head at Shea Stadium, and they started blaring it on the loud on the speakers. And I, I was told later on that Wilpon was like, "Don't ever play that song again." But uh, over the years, I had I had plenty of them. Uh, Fortunate Son was one of mine. All along the Watchtower was one of mine. But I was always, I actually picked picked uh, Jason Isringhausen's first because he couldn't think of one, and he came out to one by Metallica. Um, but yeah, I was always okay. a big music guy, and uh, like to have something. I always felt like I couldn't do the hip hop for a reason, just because I don't know if it was a white and black thing or that. But I was obviously always a uh, a big hip hop guy. It's a funny story. When I was a, a rookie in the big leagues, uh, we had the the Bose music system in the uh, that we would that Hunley actually it was Hunley's, and on the plane, you know, they would play uh, Franco was playing Billy Joel, and you know, they would play the Gap Band and all this stuff, and they were all older than me and. I had one song, right. and my one song that I got to play all the time was always "Shook Ones" by Mob Deep, and uh, they used to Bob, Bobby Jones used to bust my chops about that. But uh, always, always loved the music, always. Well, times have changed. You know, a lot of guys now are coming out to whatever they want, regardless of it's hip hop, yep. rap. But uh, yeah, I can tell just by this conversation, you're a big music guy. So uh, that's that's cool to know. Uh, Nirvana, yeah. um, come okay. as you are, was the first uh, one. Come as you are. Yeah. I like, yeah, I like that, that to this day. I like that. Come as you are. Yeah, you, I feel like you never, it never loses. You know, you play that song That's for it. life. You know, it's just, it never gets old when you love a song or a band like Absolutely. that so much. So, well, that will conclude on our uh, Nirvana and music talk of the Say Hello podcast. Another episode of the Say Hello podcast. Uh, I want to thank our producer, Stephen White. Uh, behind the scenes, he's been behind the scenes for all of our episodes, and I've been t- I would be remiss uh, if I did not mention him, and I will going forward. Uh, does a lot of hard work for us, uh, so thank you, Stephen, uh, behind the scenes uh, as our producer. Uh, once again, we are on all platforms. You are watching on YouTube. It's at Shea Hello Media. Please subscribe. All you gotta do is uh, type in at Shay Hello Media. Hit that subscribe button. And if you like Bill and I's content here, uh, and go from there. We're also on Apple and Spotify uh, platforms as well under Shay Hello Podcast. Uh, like us, give us a rating, a comment, drop it, whatever you want. Uh, and of course, follow us uh, there as well. And last but not least, of course, thank you, Bill. 
Another fun episode here. Uh, always a blast talking baseball with you, talking Mets, talking traffic, talking Nirvana. <laughs> Thank you, Casey. I appreciate it, man. I enjoyed it too. Like me uh, as well. So until next time, I want to thank everybody once again and have a great rest of your day, everybody.